Someone here this morning was asked the question this week, do you really believe in God? What would your response to that be? I'd like to hear from some of you. Besides yes, besides absolutely, why why do you believe in God? Je- Jeannie says, do you really not believe in God? Uh, you, you guys, you say, you say it out loud. He's your source of what? Source of life. Creation didn't just happen. Oh, you went the theology route. It's good. <laughs> Audrey, that's awesome. <laughs> I would like to see it. Not right now, but I would like to see it this week. Yes, I would like to see it. Yes, Luke. I would say yes because I'm willing to risk it all for it. Which means I'm putting my whole life on it. So I wouldn't do that if I didn't believe it. You're risking your whole life on it. My whole eternity, my whole life, even down here, it's, it's, I'm convinced it's the only source of truth. It's the only source. And so I'm risking my whole Anybody else? Yeah. Luke? Or, or Bogdan? We look alike. Yeah. We all look alike. Uh, yeah. Has anybody ever said sometimes? Sometimes? <laughs> sometimes <laughs> believe in God? Well, when we have doubt. Yeah, doubt will do that. Doubt will give you the sometimes answer. evil one does yeah yeah somebody said something more andy when he found you you weren't looking What if I were to throw the same question out to you and Jesus never came to earth? Jesus never came to earth. Would you believe in God? I'm assuming I'm in here with a room full of believers in Jesus. Jeannie says, even creation speaks of his glory. Yeah, that people that have never known will know God. Yeah, again. 
Yeah, that's a good answer. There's nothing else that makes you satisfied. That we we're created with this vacuum, this this want, and there's only one thing that's going to fill that want. Yeah, are you going to say something? Yeah. It would be a belief and a trust. It would be a belief, but it wouldn't be identification. Yeah. And that's different. That's what Jesus is for us. Yeah, the identity part of it is to identify with Christ. I wasn't planning on going there, but when someone told me that this morning, you know, I just thought about it. And then uh, just introducing Jesus to you is a huge, is a huge part of, obviously, this ministry and where we are right now. But if we didn't have if we didn't have Jesus, I think that bogged in those questions of doubt and you know if all you've got is creation and this vacuum, this hole. But once you had Jesus that actually came here and said, "I am the Son of God, and I've come to save you from your sin," and to me. <clears throat> It's the, the whole pastel Jesus, if you know what I'm talking about, the flannel board Jesus that has the little sheep and the kids around him. I I just don't see, I see him like that, but at the other, most of the times I see him as this just daring, bold, uh, not afraid to say anything. He probably makes Kathy Griffin look bad. <laughs> I mean, he he you know what I'm saying? It's like this guy he literally stands before the people that are considered the leaders of the faith and calls them out. Like he really this whole sermon on the mount thing is what that's about there's a beauty in his message here that as we as we conclude this last section of the sermon on the mount there's a beauty of him not only putting the pharisees in their place but at the same time teaching us what it means to be a christ follower and as keith said uh to love so he spent chapter 6. Remember, there, there were no chapters. Jesus didn't quote, quote a Sermon on the Mount in chapters. We just have taken it and we've divided it up ourselves. The first chapter being chapter 5 of Matthew. And he kind of slapped the Pharisees around. He said, you've heard it taught that you're supposed to do this. But I'm teaching you that you do this even greater to show that you can't do this in your own strength. Like my friend Bob says that the Sermon on the Mount is the purest form of the law. Like there's nothing there's nothing bigger in the scripture when it comes to the law than the Sermon of the Sermon on the Mount. And then you get to chapter 6 and he's really talking about the individual person. And again, he challenges them to do more. And now we get to chapter 7, and he's talking about others, how we relate to others. And so we pick up chapter 7, verse 1. It says, 
do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I'm standing up here for five minutes and I've already been judged by most of you in this room. Some of you by the shorts that I'm wearing. <laughs> some of you about how I started. Some My flip-flops. Uh, some of you are are judging the translation that I'm using. Uh, you judge all the time. You judge all the time. It says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite. Like he's looking at these men that are the leaders, and he just calls them You guys are jokes. You're hypocrites. Everything that you teach and say and do is just, it's senseless. He says, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take a speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them with their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. How many of you uh, were quick to judge Tiger Woods this week? I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I've just had this heart for Tiger Woods over these last few years. That dude's like hurting. He's struggling. And as soon as we get the very first report, everybody's saying, oh, it's alcohol, it's alcohol. Well, it wasn't alcohol. Yeah, he messed up, yeah. But the the guy's hurting. We're quick to judge even before we have all the information. Uh, I ask you this question. So are, as believers in Jesus, as Christians here, are we to judge You don't have to answer that. Because I'm going to tell you that I believe that we are to judge. And that we do judge all the time. I believe that I judge from a pastoral sense in many ways. And that is to help other believers in their walks. Jesus is busting the chops of the Pharisees because they were judging other believers to make themselves look good. There's a difference in judgment here. As you can judge critically and uh, put others down, which happens quite a bit. We do that with our comments and our uh, statements to one another. If somebody does something that uh, is wrong, we will belittle them just to make ourselves better than them. That's a form of judgment, and it's pretty much what the Pharisees were doing. But I look at the church and I go, are we to judge? Absolutely, we are to judge. If I flip you over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It is widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you, 
and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. Like the Gentiles were pretty corrupt people. (laughs) They did some pretty crazy, wicked stuff, but he's like saying, you guys are doing stuff even that the Gentiles aren't comfortable with. A man is living with his father's wife. He's living with his mother-in-law. And you're inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he who has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. For though I'm absent in body, but this is Paul speaking now, this is not Jesus. It says, For though I am absent in body, but present in spirit, I have already decided about the one who has done this thing as though I were present. In other words, he's saying, I'm not there in Corinth with you guys. But let me tell you how to deal with this issue. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, Paul's saying this. That's some pretty wicked stuff that this man's doing. And we've obviously approached him and talked about what he's doing, and yet he refuses to repent, refuses to move out, refuses to stop doing what he's doing. So if that's the case, and listen listen to this, my friends. If that's the case, he wouldn't hear you in the first place. Like, there's a lot of times that stuff goes on in here and there's not a repentant spirit to it and it does no good to approach you about it. Unless you have the ear or the heart to hear. And so at that point, we turn you over to Satan, as terrible as that sounds. In other words, we let you pursue your flesh. Pursue your flesh. But you're not going to take down the rest of the people in this room with you. This is a form of judgment. It is a form of church discipline. And it happens. It happens. It may not happen right here on the front row. I'm not bringing you up in front. But we... We confront, we deal with, we struggle with it, we pursue scripture about it, and we pray for you, but sometimes we just have to let you do your thing until you get to the bottom. You know what I'm talking about. you got people all around you that get to the bottom, and when they get to the bottom, who's there? Typically, we are. When you get to the bottom, we'll be there. When you get to the point where you have a repentant heart and you realize that you can't do this on your own, we're going to walk with you. I think that's why my my heart is for people like Tiger Woods. It says, when you get to the bottom, then the Spirit may save you in the day of the Lord says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough? And here he's talking about if you let the flesh pattern continue in that person, then it will spread to the rest of the group. 
that's what leaven does. Leaven's not a bad thing. Leaven can be a good thing. It can spread in a positive way as well. Clean out the old yeast so that ye may, you may be a new batch. You are indeed unleavened, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old yeast or with yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, what you need to know about this story is they let this man go to Satan. They turned him over to Satan. But then eventually, Paul comes back, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians, his next letter, he says, so what happened to this man? You guys have been judging him and judging him and judging him, and you've been too critical, and now he's at a point of repentance, and you need to bring him back into the fellowship. Like he got to the bottom. And so you ask the question, are we as believers supposed to judge? Yes, I believe that we're supposed to judge other believers. I can't really judge non-believers because it's their natural state of being. You know, that's the Holy Spirit that will convict them of their unbelief. I believe that I can judge one's actions. I I believe I can judge one's attitudes, but I can't judge their motive. I can't judge their heart. That's one thing I, I just can't do. People ask me, what do you think they're a believer? I, that's not my deal. I can see what they do. I can see the fruit that they produce. I can see their activities, and you can kind of estimate, but I can't judge the motives. Is it possible for a person to do a good work with a bad motive? I think so. It's also possible to fall in a, to fail in a task and yet be very sincerely motivated. I got into a conversation. One of my pastoral friends this week saw my post about the Israel trip, and he says, I get the whole trip and everything, but why would you baptize them in the Jordan River? Like if you're taking believers over there, they've probably already been baptized. Why would you re-baptize them? It seems like you're making little of the baptism. And I'm like, really? Like, I think it's pretty cool experience to go in there. I did it with my son. I took my son, Corey, in there, and I baptized him, and he turned around and baptized me, and it was an experience that I'll never forget. If you think that I was belittling baptism, I don't know if I can change your mind on that, but the truth of the matter is I did what the Spirit led me to do, And it was all about the motive of my heart, not about the letter of the law. And I don't know if I could ever convince my friend any different. I think we can be uh, judgmental of actions and attitudes, but the motive, I can't question the motive. Sometimes we take our own plank out and we learn from the process you, you hear what I'm saying is like we have this own our own issue. We have this plank in our own eye and we're able to t- eventually, by the Lord's help, take this plank out of our own eye and we've learned from this process and we can then help others that have the same issue. I truly believe that we go through junk in life so that we learn and then we help our brothers and sisters that are in need 
especially. I think that's one of my ideals as a pastor is to connect those that have stumbled and struggled with the same issues. Like I know a lot of issues in this room right here, and I won't talk about them publicly, but privately I might ask, can you meet with this person? Because they've gone through the same struggle. There's a lot of times when I have to discern and the elders have to discern whether to uh, not interfere or to actually get involved. That's that's something that you can pray for us about. It's the whole judging thing. Then verse 7, Jesus says, we're going back to Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. It says, keep asking. And it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. This verse has been taken out of context so many times. If you look at the context of what Jesus has just said here. He's talking about the Pharisees judging one another. Having the ability to discern and decide how to deal with an issue. And so now he says... Knock, and it will be, or keep asking, and it will be given to you. We've always thought that that it, that word it, what is that word it? Was stuff. We thought if we ask for it, just keep asking for it, the Lord will give it to you. That it there that Jesus is talking about is wisdom and discernment and judgment. Keep asking, and wisdom and discernment will be given to you. Keep searching, and you'll find. You'll figure out how to deal with your issue if you keep seeking the Lord. It's not about getting stuff. It's not about opportunities that may come along. That passage is really about judgment and seeking wisdom for each situation. It says... Keep knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds and the one who knocks the door will be open. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from the Lord. And I believe that if you continue to ask the Lord for wisdom, he will grant you wisdom. Then verse 9 it says, What man among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Jesus is saying, if you really ask for this gift of wisdom, if this this ability to judge, why would the Lord give you something wicked? Why would he not hear you? He's talking about the Pharisees here. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Like, those Pharisees were able to understand what it meant to give a good gift on their birthdays, on their celebrations, at their feast. If you're capable, if you evil Pharisees are capable of giving good gifts, just think what my heavenly Father can give in the, in the form of wisdom and knowledge. It's much greater than what you've done. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, remember, this is a 
a section about others. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law of the prophets. This is what Keith was talking about before I got up here. We know this verse as what? What? The golden rule. This is the golden rule, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. That's like... We should... We shouldn't build our theology on that statement right there, on the golden rule. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like basing astronomy on twinkle, twinkle, little star. The, the The truth of the matter is, this golden rule was for believers, and it was in light of judgment. If our judging others is not governed by this principle right here, then we risk becoming very proud group of people and very critical. And our own spiritual character will crumble. And I tell you this, what Keith said is that we do this out of love. We treat each other's, what we do for each other's, is out of love. And if that is what fruit is produced for us being believers in Jesus Christ, it is very natural. Jesus is taking two forms here. He's taking the flesh and the spirit here, and he's comparing them and saying, you, the Pharisees, are doing things of the flesh, but if you choose to do things of the spirit, it looks totally different. And I believe no matter what we do as believers, if we do this right here, treat others as we want to be treated, I believe that we're still going to face opposition. (laughs) You're a select few in this community. And people are going to ask you, do you really believe in God? You believe all that stuff. You really read your Bible. I believe that we're going to face opposition. Verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. In other words, Jesus is saying, These Pharisees, they have this Mishnah book, With 800 pages of laws and stuff, it's very wide. You do all these rules and everything else, you're going to get to heaven. It's very wide. But I'm telling you, the gate is narrow. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. Pharisees had this book. They had their rules. They had their laws, their regulations when it came to passing judgment. But Jesus pretty much narrows it down to one. He says, when you judge others, love them. Judge them, but judge them with love. 
I was told that this was a difficult road, this Christian life. <laughs> that's, what I, I, that's what I was told. It says, enter through the narrow gate. It says, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. I was taught that this road was difficult. What I've learned is, and discovered is this. It's more difficult to find this road than it was to live. Like, finding this narrow road of grace and love and mercy took me a long part of my life. But once I found this difficult, this road that was difficult to find, life is totally different. I see things different, even like I see this passage of Scripture differently. Verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? <laughs> Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. We have no membership here at Leavener. Nobody has joined this, this church, this group, this organization. You are free to roam. You're free to go out there. And many, some, not many of you, but some of you have actually done that. You've come here, you've heard this message, and then you've gone out to find programs or whatever else, but eventually you end up coming back here. I'm not bragging. I'm not boasting. I'm just saying figure this thing out are we teaching truth or are we teaching lies? And what I'm teaching you today, is this truth or is this lies? The only way that you're going to know is if you pick this thing up and you read it and if you see that I'm telling you the truth. I always say in here, don't believe a word that I say. Don't believe a word that you go figure it out yourself. And if you think that I'm lying to you, come talk to me. I'd love to have coffee with you. If you think I shouldn't be baptizing in the Jordan River, come talk to me. It says in verse 17, In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. All right, let's get this straight. First of all, let me say this. Most, most churches measure growth by the three B's. You know what the three B's are, right? Baptism, budgets, and butts in the seat. That's how they know if they're growing. That's just, that's just it. And then I get the question all the time, is your church growing? Is your church growing? How do you measure what happens into the hearts and the homes of you right here? I don't know how to measure that. I don't know what to tell people. You just have to come see it and see. I see it firsthand. Absolutely, they're growing. Absolutely. I sit here and I, I hear testimonies every Sunday. I hear them all week long about the things that God's doing in there. Uh, to answer the question, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What we're talking about here is that there's going to come a point of judgment and everything that has been done here on earth 
and the form of service is going to be judged. Those things that were done in service out of our own flesh, out of our own strength, out of our own personal desires will probably burn up. And everything that's done out of the strength of the Lord, the Spirit living in us, teaching us, and, in, and, and speaking to us, and we being obedient to that, that will be rewarded. That's what will last. And he says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. (laughs) You lawbreakers. Those of you that think that you can get in because you were obedient to the law. Rather than saying, I'm your Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah, let me do this for you. He had two groups of people standing out there before him, sitting out there before him as he's delivering this message. He had those that were going to choose to do things under the law and those that were going to choose to do things under the strength of the Messiah. The difference being those who naturally walk by the Spirit versus those who naturally walk by the flesh. One, first of all, the flesh, that's like like I said earlier, living your life and doing things in your own strength versus two, the other, which would be the Spirit. And living your life in the strength and the power of another source. Like learning to live your life by another. Verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built the house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Here he's describing those who naturally walk by the Spirit. Then he says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and they pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. Here he's describing those who naturally walk by the flesh. He could also be referring to the temple that in 70 A.D. was destroyed. You know, where they came and they did all their sacrifices and their offerings, and every year they would repeat this process. And he said, this process is no longer any good. I am the one offering for all time. I'm here to make you perfect. I'm here to redeem you. And then it closes the chapter out. It says, When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. You see what the scribes and the Pharisees did there. They spoke from authorities, always quoting various rabbis and experts of the law. 
Jesus never ever quoted any rabbi. He spoke with his own authority. Jesus needed no human teacher to add authority to his words. Because he spoke as the Son of God. That, my friends, is the Sermon on the Mount, the purest form of the law. You can take these last three weeks and you can try to live up to them to the best of your ability. And you might do that for a season, but you will come to a point of failure. And when you come to the point of failure, that's when Jesus says, I got this. I got this. Let me do this for you. Hey, you need to enjoy life. I can do this for you. Breathe. Relax. Hang out with me. Get to know me. Trust me. I'll do this for you. Father, I pray this, that you would uh, do this for us, that you would teach us, that you would walk with us every day, that we can get to know you more every day. And uh, Lord, I do pray for wisdom for this group of people right here, not just myself or the elders in this room, but those that sit here and also have the responsibility of judging those that are near them. And we do that with love. We do that by trusting you with wisdom. We do that because we love the person. So, Lord, thank you for this group. Thank you for this family that we can take this journey, this walk. Thank you for you. Just thank you for Jesus. That you are so real and it's evident. You speak with boldness. You speak with grace. You speak with love. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.